you can be seated. Also to pray with me this morning. Gracious God, we gather together around your table, having heard your scripture, having sung songs of praise and acknowledgement of your love. And we pray that you might continue to speak to us this day. We pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned earlier that this is the last in our series at the table. We've continued to look at uh, how we gather around the table and how that might inform us so that when we gather with friends, with one another, with the community around us, we might experience God's love and be God's love in the world. And we've focused particularly on the Passover meal over the course of the history from the beginning in the exit, oh, from beginning in Exodus and then moved on to the Passover as it was celebrated by Jesus and his disciples. And as the Passover continued to inform how we as Christians gather around the communion table or the Eucharistic table that some have it. Actually, full disclosure, last week was supposed to be the last Sunday that we were talking about because we're going to be moving into a series next Sunday that I'm super excited about. It's the old story made new. We're going to be talking about some of our Sunday school stories that we remember reading and hearing about if you grew up in the church or some of us here because our keiki are learning in the Sunday school classes. Except for when you get a little bit older, some of the stories that are meaningful and cute and fuzzy and, you know, ones that we teach our kids have lots of questions that are drawn up. You know, for example, next week we're going to be talking about the story of Adam and Eve and, and how now that, you know, you've grown and learned more about evolution and science, what, what does that mean? for Adam and Eve, and what about the fall and the serpent, all these questions that come up that we teach to our keiki, like, it's a meaningful story that's in the Bible. Anyway, I'm excited about that opportunity, and I was thinking about, well, what are we going to talk about today on Labor Day? And it just so happened that, you know, I was praying about it, and I was thinking about it in the midst of the height of what now is full force children's activities that are back and going. Is anyone else feeling those if you have kids, the full force of it? I mean, we were going from like ballet for our youngest to soccer, to soccer, to soccer, to soccer, to soccer. I mean, that's just the soccer life is that it just kind of goes there. But on top of that, it feels like now that we're at this stage in the pandemic where, uh, you know, like our levels moved down to medium in Hawaii, you know, we're not doing masks, restrictions are going. It feels like society has like gone on back, if not even added some to the pace at which we were going before. And it was fast paced then, and it just all of a sudden feels fast now. And given that tomorrow is Labor Day and the historic meaning of Labor Day is to give the workers some rest, I kind of thought to myself, well, maybe we need to take a pause for us, especially the parents in the mix, and think about rest. But I know it's not just the parents because I know that many of our Kapuna have been putting off travels for years during the pandemic and now have just started stacking up different activities that are happening as well. And before we kind of jump into the hustle and bustle, I wanted to read this scripture as a faithful reminder, not of what we should think about doing, but actually what we're commanded to do. 
I, I was listening to a story in preparation for this sermon of uh, these professors that gathered around a mealtime on Friday night, thinking about what was going ahead of them on the weekend. And as they started to talk, you know, one professor was like, I got all of these papers and tests that I got to read. And then another one chimed in and says, I got so many, I'm going to be working all through the weekend. And then another chimed in, I got even more than that. And they just like all of a sudden started boasting about how much they had to study over the weekend. And mind you that this group of professors happened to be theology and biblical studies professors. And then one took a pause and said, do, imagine if any of us were sitting around the circle bragging about any other commandment that God gives in the Ten Commandments and how we were going to go about breaking those this weekend, right? You know, oh, I'm, I stole just a little bit from the times. Well, I stole an entire bank, right? Like they were bragging about how each of them were going to break a commandment known as the Sabbath about resting on the holy day. In fact, out of all the commandments that God gives to the people of Israel, the one in which God gives the most breadth of language to is the Sabbath day, the holy day. And throughout the history of Israel and the history of the church, it has been a marker for God's people to pause, to reflect, to center themselves on God's love and presence and beyond that also enacts a level of justice and care for the community within it as well. Resting is essential to how we gather. And, and as I think about that sort of sense of rest and that peace, and I think about the times in my life when I really feel grounded and, you know, experiencing the Sabbath, I cannot disconnect those from a good meal around a table right? I mean, just think about uh, whether it's a vacation or whether it's time with your family or that magical holiday where no one argued with each other. You know, like whatever it was, I'm imagining that as you think about that sort of moment of peace, it had to have had a table most likely. Or if you go to different places and the times when you feel at home the most is when you're with others at enjoying a meal together. That the power of a table and eating together has this power to kind of still us for a moment. Uh, no one in my life is better than this than my father-in-law. He, he gathers us around, and for in their household, it is an event for dinner, right? You got the, the pre-dinner that happens outside where the pace of everything begins to slow down, and then finally we make it to the dinner table, and then everything kind of makes its way to the dinner table because everything's kind of prepped ahead of time. And then we go about eating our meal, but it's not just the meal. It's about sitting there afterwards and talking, and having a long, drawn-out conversation and enjoying each other's company. And, and at first, when I was married to my wife, Ashley, and I was joining their meals, I was, like, getting, like, anxious because my family didn't grow up gathering and having this really long mealtime. I mean, it was like my dad was a, a swim coach, and my brother and I were off doing sports, and so my mom was just happy to, like, get us, the, get us food and send us on our way. And so it just wasn't part of our tradition. And I remember getting antsy, being like, how long, Ashley, are we having to sit here and talk after the meal? Can I get up yet? Is this okay? 
But as I've grown older, you want to know one of the barometers of whether or not my wife and I have a good date night when we go out, because we try to go out to eat on a date night, is that if we go out to the restaurant and it's too noisy, we're like, oh my gosh, it's so cluttered. And then the other piece is when the waiters try to rush you out the door. You know what I'm talking about? When you go to the restaurant, they're like, all right, you ready for your entire course? We don't order it right now. And it comes out five minutes later. And they're like, are you ready for your dessert? And then they just happen to like slip you the check. And you're like, this is my like night out. I, I got babysitter at home. She's a minimum of three hours. I, and I need to enjoy this as long as it lasts. And so one of the things my pet peeves now when we go out and we choose where we're going to go is are they going to rush us out the door? Because I just want to relax around the table with my spouse or if we're on a double date with the friends that we're at. Because there's this peace at the table that we gather. And the thing is, is that if we in our society are so bad at following the commandment of the Sabbath, I mean, it's just, you know, we have all kinds of activities that we build into all days of the week. And whether or not we're trying to safeguard the Sunday, I mean, that can be debated. But at the same time, we should at least have some pieces of our day that are called holy and that we're saving for rest with God and with one another. And I remember I experienced this the most when I was uh, part of a cohort as a pastor in North Carolina called Life Around the Table. And uh, this amazing pastor, her name was Grace Hackney, she started, uh, she kind of retired from local church ministry and she did her dream, which was her and her husband bought a house that was big enough to have a farm on it. But beyond just having a house that had areas for plentiful gardens and raising a few livestock, she had a dream of establishing a retreat center at that farm. And I had the gift of being part of the first cohort that was part of it. And what, basically what she did was she invited some pastors to come out to her farm for one day a month for a program called Sabbath Life. Sabbath Life. And we're pastors. I mean, like many of us, we're busy schedules. So, I mean, to even think about asking us to come out one day a week was just like, you know, way beyond the scope of what anyone was actually going to do. So she just asked for one day. I want one day with you. And a couple caveats with it is that we had to turn off our cell phones. We had to turn off our cell phones, right? I had to turn off our cell phones, and we couldn't bring work-related things with us that we had to bring either just a novel or just a fun theology book, because, you know, that's what we do as pastors is read fun theology books, or just whatever it was, but it couldn't be work-related. And the day began by going out into the gardens and working the land. So we would uh, plant the tomatoes or, you know, pick the green onions that were there. And whatever we would do during that time, uh, we would kind of do it with a conversation and we'd be talking together. And whatever we were able to gather from the farm would then all of a sudden we would transition to the kitchen area and we would rinse the tomatoes and the green onions and get the lettuce that we had made. And we started to make a meal out of what was there. Not everything. There's stuff that was made before and after, obviously, because we couldn't feed all of us. But then we would do all the work of setting the table and it would all be ready. And then prior to actually eating, Grace would lead us through a liturgy of the communion table. A liturgy of telling God's story throughout history and how God invites us 
to commune with God. And then she would always make sure to have a a glass of wine and a cup of bread at the table. And then she would end that conversation about the story of God's history and God's activity in the world. And she would say the holy words. This is my body, which is broken for you. And this is the cup, the new salvation. And, you know, we were hungry. We had been working out in the field. We were ready to, like, it was, like, literally this amazing salad right in front of us, all this awesome food, because she was an amazing cook as well, was right there. But she said, you can't eat any of it. We're going to pause for a moment, and we're going to wait. And then we ate the communion together. We would share the communion around. We would pass the cup and the bread, and we would break the body and drink of the cup and remember the act that Jesus instilled some 2,000 years ago. And it was almost as if the pace of the morning was broken, the work and the labor, to this time of rest around the table. And she would end every meal with the same comments. After this, we're going to go into a time of solitude. And you can do anything you want during this solitude. We have a path, and she had this really soft voice. We have a path that you could walk around the pond. You can look at the fish, and you can go through the forest. It's almost like a children's storybook, and she would repeat it. And she goes, and I have some beds upstairs that are ready for you to take a nap if you would like, and a hammock outside for you to read. And she set this kind of scene, and you could envision, well, where am I going to rest after this and just sit? But then she would say, but you can't do any work, (laughs) as tempted as we were. And it was so hard, one day a week, to like break away, because I had all the emails, and I had a number of phone calls that came in, and Sunday sermon was still needing to be prepared, and so I wanted to bring the book on that particular Sunday. And so at first, it was this training. I had to like, ah, you know, like my pace. I was like walking around. But eventually, it became... A life stream. And that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is is both this resistance to society's pressure, and then it also is, uh, moves us into something new as a community. Aquina, could you put up Walter Brueggemann's quote for us? And as I was looking through uh, preparing for this, I I came across this quote by a renowned uh, Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. He goes, "In in our contemporary context, the rat race of anxiety, The celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Such an act of resistance requires enormous attentionality and communal reinforcement amid the barrage of seductive pressures from the insatiable insistences of the market with its intrusions into every part of our life, from the family to the national budget. But Sabbath is not only resistance, it is alternative. The alternative on offer is the awareness and practice of the calm, of the claim that we are situated on the receiving end of God's, of the gifts of God. That Sabbath resist the temptation to go and to go and to go. And it also provides an alternative of eating together around a table. 
Because if you have any Jewish brothers or sisters or friends or colleagues, you might know that Sabbath for them begins on Friday night and then extends to the next, next dusk. And capstone in some of the households, beginning and end, especially at the onset, is what they call a Sabbath meal together where they invite friends and family and they gather around the table and they read uh, from scripture and they have ceremony and it initiates for them what is known as the rest of the rest of the time, the rest of the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. They do no more work and they rest with one another in God's presence and it begins at the table. And friends, I'm not necessarily charging us to do one day, although I guess if we wanted to follow the commandments, we could do a day of Sabbath. But what I want to encourage each of us is to think about the practice in our lives and whether or not just simply eating, we can make a point of creating Sabbath before and after one meal during the week. You know, one meal when we're not running to Wendy's or McDonald's and getting fast food. One meal where we're not thinking about the next thing or, you know, perhaps it means you say no to one practice or one extra report that you have to do for work or whatever it is that you can just stop for a moment and be with your family and with the friends and enjoy peace at the table. Because I know many of us move so quickly, you know, we might eat in front of the TV, we might be going from one thing to another, that we don't have even one evening that we can just call holy and sacred. And friends, here's the thing, that God didn't make Sabbath for us to follow it. We were made for Sabbath. God's intent for all of creation is to rest. And essential to our being is that. And it's not without sacrifice that you have to at some point learn to say no in order to prioritize rest. You have to say no to prioritize that time of peace at the table with one another, with friends. And it's difficult I remember the hardest thing that I had to learn in graduate school when I was at Duke is that Ashley, my wife at the time, we were newly married, and she said, Brian, you have to stop studying. Because before we were married, I was like up till one in the morning every day, waking up at five in the morning, up till one in the morning, waking up at five, because, you know, I'm like, got to get A's on absolutely everything. And she said, you have to eat a meal with me and go to bed with me. Outside of that, you can study as much as you want, unless it's a test time, unless you're writing this final exam, you have to eat with me and you got to go to bed. And that was, I was like, actually, I'm going to fail all my classes. I'm not going to do it. Like, there's no possible way. And turns out, I did just fine. (laughs) Turns out that I had more energy than I thought I did the next day. That I retained more information than I thought I would be able to do. And it was hard, and it was discipline, and it took painstaking me away from that book. But it became a lifeblood. So no matter how busy our lives get, I knew that the meal and the bed became a time when we could center ourselves together and myself together. So how might you resist the cultural temptation to go, 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 especially now that society's opened back up? 
And how might you find that alternative, peace, life-giving place at the table that God invites you to, a communion table, and also the table of your homes and in the communities with those around you? I want to invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of your love, the gift of the peace that you give us around your table, that we can find our rest in you. With as busy as our life gets, we pray that you might instill us to slow our pace, even just by keeping one night of the week sacred for us to eat and dine with you and with one another in hopes that we might be a people of the Sabbath that rest in your love and your grace and create that sort of space for those that desperately desire it as well. It's in your son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.